to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he's on death row for the murder of a hotel guest. But does the evidence hold up to scrutiny? We'll talk about season four of the podcast Accused, the impending execution of Elwood Jones. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and yes, the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura Bricker. Meow, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, it is Thursday as we drop this episode, but we have Mm. another program coming out on Monday. What are we talking about on next Monday's podcast? All right. Here's your weekend homework. We're going to be talking about the podcast, The Pink Moon Murders. What is that? Well, you're just going to have to listen. What's it about? You're going to have to listen. <laughs> I've never heard of it. And I just want to know what words, it's about. You don't the know. Pink okay. Moon Murders. That sounds very interesting to me. I'm sort of intrigued. All right. So, this is when our listeners find out that, like, we literally find out on the show. I love your genuine reaction. I know. So this, is, this is how listeners know that you are actually the executive producer of the show. It's not just something I say in the credits. This is you executive producing in real time. Yeah. Tough luck, Rebecca. We're listening to the Pink Moon Murders. What else are we talking about, like, next week? Do you know, like, sides the Pink Moon? murders yeah i'm uh that's on monday next thursday we're going to be talking about fire boys uh-huh. which is a documentary on hbo max okay well those we're talking about next week so people can be get ahead on their homework if they want right absolutely pink moon murders huh the pink moon murder sounds like a brand of wine <laughs> that you would drink at your book club <laughs> yeah well, like I mean, yeah like uh, it's like barefoot Chardonnay and Pink Moon Murders Rosé. Is that is that what it's about, Kevin? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually exactly. reading. I'm reading about it right now, and it's it's not really quite as funny as we're making it out to be. Oh, okay, not surprisingly. All right. oh, no. Okay. Yeah, oh, Pink Moon is funny. Anymore, Remember then? the last word is murders. Oh god. Yeah. Okay, I take it back. <laughs> yeah. I take everything I said back next week. I'm going to apologize to our listeners for the joke I made about wine this week. I apologize in advance to the journalists who are making pink moon murders or whoever is making pink moon murders. Well, I'm going to tell you a little tidbit. I'm having a wine that looks pink, but it's not. It's actually a Pinot Grigio. And I found out the reason it looks pink is because they don't take the grape skins off in this particular Pinot Grigio. By the way, I I thought it was because you were bleeding from the gums. But Laura Bricker, you know that white wine is just red grapes with the skins taken off, right? Well, but this one has something funny done to it. So it looks gold. Okay. Uh, just so just you know, like, white wine is not made with white grapes. It's made green grapes. It's made with red grapes without the skins. Yes. Okay, what do just, they make with green grapes? Nothing. <laughs> nothing? They make like shitty New Hampshire. Like, like grape juice? Yes. No, Welch's might make like some kind of special. Yes. yes. Sort of fortified fortified, fortified grape that, juice. Well, there's something weird with this one with the skins. I'm not really sure what's going on with off. it. They don't peel uh, the grapes. They just mush the grapes and they peel the skins off. Do they do that with feet? No, they don't do that with feet. That's what are you watching? I Love Lucy. <laughs> I did that. No, I did that one time. I went to the place out in Lee and I stomped the grapes. 
You stomp Don't grapes. drink any wine in which you put your feet on the grapes in Lee, New Hampshire. That place. No yeah. offense, people, but do not drink the wine that Laura Bricker no. had her feet That's on. That's a red no, flag. Go, That's a red wine flag. The, the vodka there more than the, the wine, I would think. Did All you right. step on the vodka? No, but I saw where they made it. It's so adorable that these wineries in New Hampshire think they're making wine. There's one in our town. Uh-huh. A friend of ours went. They have a lovely uh, evening, by the way, on Friday nights in the summer where they have live music. Yeah. And our friend described it to us, and she's like, oh, it's a beautiful setting. You should go. They have live music. It's really great. And the wine is alcoholic. Yeah, that's the best <laughs> I could say about it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of local wineries throughout the country. Their grapes come from California. They not they, ours. It's like the local coffee roasters that get their beans from South America. Correct. They roast them here. We have a wonderful local coffee roaster. Yeah. Our there local are wineries. There, right. Well, it's not well, that. Some of them, I, I know, some of the bigger ones, they legit get their grapes from California or other places where quality grapes are grown. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of places like. Uh, you don't want to say their names. No, but it's One of off them a, rhymes with Schm- gazelle. It's off. It's <laughs> off a courier road as we're taking the back way into Concord by the hospital. There's a vineyard there. I guess they make stuff. I can't say. I guess it's alcoholic. Apparently, it's, it's alcoholic. So bad. Yeah, it's yeah. so bad. All right. Well, but, but this one is good. I'm just gonna say. All right. That uh, all that being said, Amber Hunt is like on now Tinder it's time for our favorite part of the show. Yes. <laughs> when we talk about a podcast. Laura Bricker's drinking Mary J. Blige wine, and, and now we're going to talk about a podcast. So All right, let's do that. Why don't we go ahead and just uh, get into the topic for this podcast and, and drop our first clip. Should we do that, Kevin? Do it. All right, let's get it done. The room was still steamy, which added with Rhoda's wet hair, he took to mean she'd just gotten out of the shower. He noted signs of a struggle. He based that on the blood he saw. The fact that the room was in a bit of disarray, that he could see blood spattered in spots inconsistent with a fall. In 1994, 64-year-old grandmother Rhoda Nathan was found beaten to death inside her locked hotel room in Blue Ash, Ohio. A week later, police focused on hotel worker Elwood Jones. He had what appeared to be an infected bite mark and a necklace similar to the victim's was found in his car. If you believe all those things are true, then it's pretty compelling evidence that he did do it. But that's what makes the case so fascinating. Since his conviction and death penalty sentence, Jones has maintained his innocence. To believe him means to accept his argument that he was framed by the police for Nathan's murder. If what he says is true, I'm still not guilty. Then he would be the second victim killed by the brutal attack September 3rd, 1994, inside of a small-town Ohio hotel room. From the Cincinnati Inquirer and USA Today comes season four of Accused, the impending execution of Elwood Jones. Host Amber Hunt dives deeply into the story, looking at alternate suspects, shaky evidence, and investigators who spent a year resubmitting forensics until they finally found an expert to build their case. If the police got it wrong, then an innocent man will get a lethal injection in a year. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Accused Season 4. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. All right. So, Laura, one thing that you and I have in common is that we both love Amber Hunt's storytelling style. And I think her style really comes through on season four of Accused. Can you talk about what you love about Amber Hunt's 
storytelling, her narration, her writing. Well, I like that, you know, I feel like as she's gone along, like we've gotten to hear more of Amber and like we get to know her personality as she's still objective journalist. She's still out there, you know, asking questions and doing what she does. But then we hear, like, I love the funny little sides that she drops in. And like, my favorite one was when she was like, had that clip where it was like, Elwood Jones is an asshole. And she's like, you know, I'm going to use that every opportunity I get. (laughs) But then we hear this like montage of her asking like every person. So, you know, was he an asshole? Now, you'll remember from last episode that the assistant prosecutor, Mark Peetmeyer, who handled this case, wasn't a huge fan of Elwood Jones. Elwood's an asshole. If you're wondering whether I'm going to keep playing that clip, I assure you, I will use it wherever I can wedge it in. But I like that we hear her also like bouncing ideas off of people and being like, okay, can we talk through this? Or being like, she's very conversational and you can hear when she's out interviewing people. She's very approachable in the way that she's interviewing people as well. So I I just love it. And I like I could just sit there and listen to her like talk about anything because it's just very relatable. But also her writing is such that like we get right to the heart of the story right off the bat. So even though she's really good at setting things up in a way, because that's something we often talk about as a criticism of podcasts is that we don't get to the story and the writing is slow and the writing is, and and she gets right to it, but she does it in a way that also brings humanity to it. And also I appreciate that she throws the humor in there. Yeah. And Kevin, I think this is the reason why, you know, a Q season one is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because Amber, so much of Amber was in it. And I didn't like the subsequent seasons as much because it felt like less of her was in it. And it was more, you know, narrative focused and, and like almost like writing focused. When she built a molten vat of. Well, I love, I did love that. That was my, I did like that season a lot. This season, I feel like the Amber that we actually know, like personally know, we do hear her again. And I think that I hear it. I feel like I know the Amber I know, the Amber whose writing I love, the Amber whose voice I love. Like, I hear it a lot here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Amber's gotten much more comfortable as a narrator, exporting her own sensibilities and personalities. I mean, who thought you can have a nice casual conversation about being an asshole. But it's important. And it's not an unimportant detail. No it's, no, it's not. It's it's not. But she does bring a lot of pulling the curtain back, which she always does. But you really do get a sense of her voice and her sensibility. And that is something that is missing from a lot of podcasts. Now, I'm not afraid to criticize Accused. I famously gave season two a thumbs down. And for some reason, we're still friends. But there are things about the podcast that I think she could have done differently. But overall, I mean, it's a typically great Amber slash Amanda effort at bringing a podcast to life. All right. So what we have at our heart here is a case that and we should just be transparent as of the time of this taping. There are only five episodes out that we have heard that you three have heard. I've actually listened to all seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a case of a guy who is on death row for a murder Convicted on circumstantial evidence, the linchpin being the discovery of this necklace that is, quote, similar to one owned by the victim, which I have a lot of questions about, by the way, and other circumstantial evidence, a, quote, fight bite on his hand, which the podcast does get into later in episodes you have not listened to yet. And um, the uh, things that hit the key, Mm -hmm. his, his being an employee in the hotel, et cetera. These, quote, smoking gun in the case 
is this idea that, um, you know, this necklace was found in his trunk. Toby, near the beginning of the podcast, we hear a former cop in the town posit that, yeah, it's possible that that was planted in the guy's trunk. That is not something we typically hear a former law enforcement officer say about a town in which he was also a law enforcement officer. Were you surprised to hear that in the podcast? Yeah. And Amber kind of highlights it, that she was surprised by it. Just given what the town is, which I don't they say that there hadn't been a murder in like 14 years? Like this isn't like some big high crime citadel to corruption. It's like a pretty sleepy town. And uh, it just seemed incredible that he would say something like that because his entire career they might have had one murder and this idea that a murder happens and that it's completely within his realm of of imagining that somebody could frame somebody for it so i mean it's it's such an interesting tone (laughs) for everything that follows is that there's like this level of at least from this guy mistrust on both the honesty of the cops and and their competence you know what it reminds me of? What? It's like making a murderer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's all I could think when I'm hearing like, and then we found the necklace. Surprise! In the toolbox. Mm. Surprise! Like we found it behind the whatever in making murder. It was like behind the dresser or behind something. Behind the bookshelf. Yeah. You know. A place and, and we had already think, looked where it wasn't before, but here it is. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and I guess for me, I'm like having a hard time still sort of embracing this in a way that like I feel like "Mm, I don't know you know like I guess I trust Amber and I know that she probably has looked at a case before she decides to do a podcast on it but I'm still I don't know about anybody else but I'm still having a bit of a hard time buying into the innocence theory just because you know the necklace part like I said it's like making a murderer and it's like okay so now we have to take the leap to suspect that the cops or somebody else planted it and it's it's interesting that we're going into this case and maybe it's being set up that way because that's part of the storytelling technique here. It's being, we're being set up to hear everything that's going to make us think there's no way this could be a wrongful conviction before we find out some more information that is going to lean us the other way. And I did find there's like a whole bunch of websites for this guy all over the place. Can I ask you a question, Laura? Do mm-hmm. you think it's unusual? And I'm, I'm asking you this sincerely. Do you think yeah. it's unusual for cops once they think they have somebody and they really think it's him to put something in the frame that would make it look like it was more that guy? Do you think that's actually unusual? Well, it's not. It's, it's not unusual. I know, but I, you know what? But I just, I still, I still hold on to this sort of like, oh, they can't possibly be doing something that blatant. Like I can buy into the sloppy police work and this and that. And in this case, it's like, okay, so they didn't disclose the information about the jailhouse conversation. There's no like direct forensic evidence. There's no witnesses. They have the stupid bite mark stuff going on. So there's there's things that, okay, you can challenge all of these things. But I guess overall, just me listening to the initial story, I'm just like, oh, maybe the the process wasn't fair, but I'm still not totally sure I'm buying it. Even when a cop who searched a car alone with no witnesses and it's the same cop who's had so many violations on his record that he's had to take that like warning Mm -hmm. thing like so many times in his career and has been cited yeah being too eager having too much of an ego like taking shortcuts being sloppy yeah 
to me, it's like that is a, the the finding of the thing. I just, yeah. I just don't, I, I don't, I don't think that stuff is important anymore. Maybe that's just where I am right now. I think I'm just waiting to take the leap. I think I'm waiting for like maybe a few more episodes before I really take the leap. Hey, by the way, speaking of taking a deep dive into an episode, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the business section so we can talk about Toby Ball's deep dive book club. I'm gonna drop that music now, Kevin. Okay, excellent. I know you didn't actually drop it, Livy, our handsome line editor did. No, I do the music you, part after. No, if you, look, if you want to like maintain the magic <laughs> when people believe that. Toby, so the, on the latest deep dive, you guys looked at the book Empire of Pain. Tell us a little bit about that recording. Yeah, so it was me, it was uh, Nanita Cranford, who works in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, Sarah Kalin, who is a uh, cold case investigator, mm-hmm. and Simone Paget, who is a relationships and sex columnist wow. for the Toronto Star. Does wow. Simone oh. pronounce her last name Paget? Yeah, I I, I, ran, I had to run by the pronunciations of both Simone and Sarah. You've been she said fucking some, that up, Oh, Kevin. my God. We even had uh, Simone on These Are Their Stories, and I called her Simone Padgett. You I guess are so no, she said that She said that's fine. She yeah. said that's fine. She said a lot of people call me Padgett. Well, she was, wow. she was originally from Toronto, so... Toronto. Right. Well, you say Toronto. Toronto if you're from there. You make fun of me for saying Holyoke, or I'm from Holyoke. Not uh, from Mississauga? Not from Mississauga. Well, I think, isn't she from Mississauga? I don't know. She's from no Greater Toronto. Toronto. And so, I, shut the fuck up, Rebecca. <laughs> Toronto. Okay, I'll say it. She's from Toronto. <laughs> or that area. So if she had been more like Quebecer, I would have, uh, Quebecois, I would have assumed it was Paget. Lavoie. What? Mm, you say. Now, Rebecca is- Lavoie. So Sarah, is she the one that we met last summer? Yes. We did. Yeah, we yeah. all had dinner. Yeah. Oh, we with- had dinner with Yes. She is pretty she's pretty badass. I wish I had made time to go to this deep dive uh, book club live taping. Yeah, it was uh it was fun. I mean it was it was the first time for Sarah and Simone and uh yeah, it was, it was a really interesting conversation. The book is awesome. It's quite long. I assume it's gonna win all the awards. It's about uh-huh. the Sackler family and And it's with Patrick Radden Keefe. Who yeah, was yeah. behind some of the greatest stuff that we've talked about in the past couple of years? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 awesome. We had a really interesting discussion. Everybody kind of had different angles they could take on it based on like their profession or their experience. So yeah, people should check it out. I have a question though. Does the book answer the question whether or not "Wind of Change" was actually a propaganda uh, <laughs> song <laughs> written by the CIA? It didn't slip surprisingly, that in. surprisingly little about God wind of change. Damn it! In the because yeah. that was to me the greatest Patrick Radden Keefe project that's ever yeah. been released. Laura I, couldn't make the. Have record. you actually experienced any other Patrick Radden Keefe projects? Of course I have. I'm not an idiot. No, I am you, stupid. Have, but I'm not that stupid. <laughs> I'm not saying you're stupid. I just I wondered if you read yet, a though. book. I have not read Empire of Pain yet, though. It's been on my Audible like forever. But then when I see how many hours it is, I'm like, let me just do this. 20-hour Australian murder book first. What, and then what I'll was the book on Northern Ireland? Uh, say nothing. Say nothing. Okay. Rebecca, did you? that's Patrick Brad that advice to you. Say nothing. Oh, okay. Did you- say nothing is awesome, too. Yeah. They're both good. By the way, Lara couldn't make the book club podcast because she was too busy writing copious notes about uh, Q season four ah. so that Rebecca would have lots to talk about. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that, guys. Thank you. All right, Kevin. Before we move on, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Nicola Manns, 
and Guji Natters. Bless you. Bless you, guys. By the way, unlike Simone Paget, uh, I actually contacted uh, Guji to ask her how she pronounces her name. It's wonderful. Yeah. Because it's it's a uh, it's an uncommon spelling. Yes, yes. Well, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you did that, and let's hope you pronounced it right anyway. <laughs> she's, well, because that has happened. She's willing to forgive. I know she's I willing just to have forgive. To say back to Simone Paget during the high COVID times. Um, I I did enjoy reading some of the th- like some of the things she writes. Like when she was like, "What is your favorite sex toy?" I was like. This is so interesting. <laughs> what a job that she has. Back it's fascinating. To, and back to Simone Paget. She's been such a fan of the show that she once sent us a box of sex toys. That was just extra samples she had from her job. And she and, she and Kevin have been corresponding because she appeared on, uh, what is it, one of our shows, right? These are the stories. These are the stories. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I opened the box and I was like, what the fuck is going on between you and Simone Paget? <laughs> So the good news is that we used half of them. I wasn't jealous. The bad news is we only used half of them. I was literally just like, what is actually going on here? And then I just realized, oh, these are the kind of samples she gets at work. I see. I get like, wow. I get boring public radio stuff. She gets this. Right? Wow. Yeah. Oh so my. you know the other thing about Simone? What? Is she's got a podcast that's about to come out. Yeah. She's been talking about starting that. Yeah. Is good for about her. About sex toys? No. Uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's like interviews just about relationships and sex and stuff oh, interesting. I, I, there, there's more details on the yeah. deep dive she, oh, she okay. kind of gave the little yeah my Go favorite ahead. article she does is when she goes to like hedonism and those like like oh, sexy yeah. resorts oh yes <laughs> quote sexy resorts and writes about how shitty they are and how she just put a towel down everywhere she sits yes those are my Ew. favorite articles that she writes she did tell me a story that has not made it into any of her writing <laughs> and I will take that to my grave Simone <laughs> alright does Kevin should we in the business section there I think we better. All right. Well, if you want to hear any of this stuff, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can get the Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast. You can hear that great book club and get all the dirt. We got the after show. We got Mary with podcast. Laura Bricker's putting together the next Leave It to Bricker. All the dirt. Yeah, all the dirt. All you get good. all of it. All the extra Mine dirt. is going to be all the dirt, so stay all tuned. All the dirt. Get it at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thank you to our Patreon patron saints of the week. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. So, Kevin, you have a critique of the podcast. What is your critique? It's it's my really my only one, but I think it makes a big difference in how you hear it. Laura was kind of hinting at this. I want to know what the accused team, why they thought this was an important case and why they thought there was a chance there was a wrongful conviction because we don't get that until about, like you said, episode seven, which is still... Not out yet, unless you're on Wondery Plus or you're a Patreon subscriber. I don't feel like we need to wait to episode seven to find out, oh, here's the reasonable doubt. We talked about this with Lost Hills season two, that right away we hear something that maybe this is a wrongful conviction, but then we don't foreshadow anything else or get a hint as to why. What things am I supposed to be listening for to buy it? Because you're right, all I hear is stuff is like, oh, that doesn't look good. Oh, that's pretty damning. Oh. And it kind of like is left there. And I just wanted to sort of get the promise or get the hint that there is something there worth waiting on. Is that the right way to say that? Hmm. I want to know what was in your gut to say this is the story to take. Yeah, I, I agree. I will tell you, I think the order of the episodes could have been changed. Because I'll tell you as somebody who's listened to all the episodes that there is some information in the later episodes 
that I would have put earlier. Episode seven. Not just seven. Five, six, and seven. Five, six, and seven. Um, that, six looks more sort of at like the social. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, but, but I think ahead. that yeah. could have been earlier. This is not a podcast that's telling the listener, and I'll just tell you, I don't want to spoil it. This is not a podcast that's telling the listener, this guy is definitely innocent. We know he didn't do it. This is not the point of this. And Amber does not set out to do that. That's not the thesis statement here. It is looking at a case where a guy is on death row and showing you that this is a Swiss cheese case that people think is not viable, right? That's what this podcast is. Amber shows you all the reasons it's a Swiss cheese case and why it's not viable, right? She's not solving a murder. This right. is not what this fucking podcast is, and nor should it be. I think that the episodes could have been in a different order. That being said, for people in two weeks, they will all, all the information will be out there, right? So I understand what you're saying. That being said, maybe I'm less credulous than you are. Like I, I go into these things assuming that they're fucked up. I don't know. That's just where I am in the world. I don't know. What about you, Toby? Because I hear, for instance... For me, it's enough to hear that everybody has a fucking key in this hotel. I am here that Tony's in episode four. They got a lot of ne'er-do-wells working for them. Including a pair of friends known as the Tonys, both of whom have had drug and theft convictions. Oh, and also assault. And while co-workers reported seeing both of them at the hotel at the time of the murder, only one was scheduled to be there. And this all seems worth noting. My opinion is... <laughs> after episode four, that the Tony, the one who claims he was not there and several people saw him there wearing a uniform, including the bus driver who drove him there, who has a history of violent robberies, has a history of violence against women, has a history of committing robberies in which he beat people up in the manner in which this crime was committed. And that very day went shopping with money it is my opinion that he is a very fucking strong suspect for this crime. I think that was a good place to put that episode. And I don't understand why you guys don't feel more strongly that he could be a suspect in this crime. I don't know, Toby, am I just being like too, have I just bought into the wrongful conviction, like true crime industrial complex too much here? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Now, I, um, I, I guess in my mind when I'm listening to it, it's a... You know, just Amber's track record makes me think that there's going to be payoff, right? So I'm not that uncomfortable with, with sticking through some stuff where it's like, uh, where's this going? Because I assume it's going somewhere useful. But then the other thing is, we're like, we're about to kill this guy, right? He's about to be put to death. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that's that's really the thing. It's like, if you're going to put him to death, that that, that case has got to be open and shut, right? I mean, there, there can't yeah. be any question about it. And it doesn't take very long in this series before you start getting questions. That's for sure. Like you, you may not be starting to be convinced that he's innocent or that another particular person is guilty, but very quickly I was like, wow, this guy is being put to death on this. Like that's messed up. And then it brings up, I mean, I, I haven't listened. I, I think I saw on one of the, one of the little write-ups that she gets into the, the racial disparities and in, in uh, executions and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of the, and we've talked about this before, but just how we're so ready to put people to death without having the sort of certainty or open and shut case that, A, I, I'm against the death penalty, so I don't think anybody should be put to death. But if you're going to do it, it should be in extremely rare cases where there's absolutely no question. And so for me, she pretty quickly starts poking little holes in what's going on. So that to me, I think was enough to to get to get everything started, 
And, you know, in the end, for again, for me, it's not necessarily, is he actually innocent, but is he potentially innocent? And if he's just potentially mm-hmm. innocent, like that, that should be enough. Hmm. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Laura? I do agree with that. I do agree with that. I mean, the fact that this is a death penalty case definitely adds a layer of, like, you want to be damn sure that that's what happened. And I'm not saying, like, where I said, like, I, I'm not buying into the whole innocence claim, but there, it's like... The same thing I've said about Stephen Avery's case. Like there, there are issues here that show that the system was not fair. I, I guess part of it is I can't really latch on to what I think happened, but there are definitely issues here if you look at this that are not fair. And those are issues that need to be explored because like putting somebody to death is is pretty serious. And oh my God, that part when they were talking, when Amber was talking about why the death penalty cases in New Ham- in New Hampshire, the death penalty cases in Ohio have been delayed because there was a shortage of the drug. Mm. I was like, oh, like there's a great like, episode was, on criminal about that. Yeah. But it was like yeah. a pandemic related death penalty issue that I never had thought of. I mean, I don't know if it hit you guys. I was like, oh, oh wow. But, but actually it isn't. The companies that provide the drugs, the particular drugs for lethal injection, because it's a combination, it's a cocktail of like three okay. different drugs that they're not making them available in some cases anymore. So it makes it very hard for some states to get what they need for a constitutionally acceptable lethal injection, right? In in any event, yeah. Yeah, it's weird that drug companies wouldn't want their products used to actually murder people. No, not on purpose. They're comfortable if they accidentally get people hooked and then killed. But they're comfortable if they on purpose for marketing. The off-label stuff is fine, yeah. If Purdue Pharma was making it, it might be a different situation, but... I think it wasn't it like there's some like European company that was like, hold on a second. I'm not giving yeah, you this fucking our drugs stuff. Are doing, yes. And yeah. they stopped doing it to yeah. collapse like somebody's heart walls or whatever it is they do. To- yeah. I have a journalism question for you, Laura. Okay. How fucking awesome is it to hear a journalism intern in the show so prominently asking questions in the field? I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like, that's amazing. Like when I was an intern, do you know what I had to do? I had to sit in like shitty planning board meetings and stuff that like, <laughs> I had to go over to the police department and transcribe like police logs by hand because nobody else wanted to do it. And I'm like, wow. And I loved how she set up. And this is our intern. You might hear him. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, can I go be Amber's intern? Like, this is amazing. Um, So that I thought, what an amazing opportunity. But also that they highlighted that the intern was part of this. was just like, fuck yeah. They didn't edit him out. Yeah. And I also liked sort of the turning to other reporters in the newsroom, like saying, oh, this is our... Our crime reporter, without whom we Here's wouldn't. Who's the have, guy who was there for the whole thing? Who out without whom we wouldn't have we wouldn't have won the Pulitzer Prize that we yeah, won last yeah. year. So, Kevin, were you surprised to hear that uh, bite mark evidence was used to uh, convict oh, somebody in a death penalty? Oh, bite marks! <laughs> Those dentists! <laughs> Jesus, the actual fuck, boy! You know the lingering issue is you know the scientists say it's bullshit, but judges have not caught up. They're just as enamored by cool investigative magic like most people are. That's the thing. It sounds good. All this pattern evidence stuff. Oh. Again, before, like, you know, I don't know if it's before we started this podcast, but as the public has become more critical of the kinds of quote unquote sciences around these things to, you know, learn their limitations. Man, the country dentist, that guy, fuck that guy and his bologna sandwich because. He just made shit up by taking molds of people's teeth and sticking them on bite marks. And so saying, you're talking about the the scratches on the screws? There's that too. Matching that the guy was like, no, it's like a fingerprint. It's only, and she's like, 
but did you look at other screws on other? And he's like, doesn't matter because that could only have been that when she's like, but that's not true. And he's like, but it is. But did you look at all the other walkie talkies then to determine whether they had those scratch marks? They all had scratch marks, but they're all different. But did you, what, I, you know. We looked at others. We didn't, we didn't send them to the FBI. Because, just the one was. Yeah. There was a bullshit thing about them basically shopping for a forensics expert yes. who would. Over and over. Yeah. And the same cop, by the way. Yeah. That same cop who, like, it, he reminds me of, you ever work with somebody, they come to you and they're like, they don't get the answer they want. They just go to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Like, that's this cop, right? Like, he asked the FBI the same question over and over. And the thing that's amazing to me is that Amber interviews people for the podcast, cops who are telling her facts of the case that were not actually facts of the case presented as evidence in the case. They're misremembering or they're not. No. Yeah. Th that to them is a reason why this person is on death row because marks on the screw mm -hmm. matched wounds and the FBI said so. No, they fucking didn't. Like, it's insane. Like, the pattern evidence thing is bullshit. It also wasn't evidence. Like, this is why somebody's about to die because, like, people think that it's right. insane. It's absolutely insane. I don't know. There's so much I want to tell you guys about. <laughs> well, now I'm looking forward to listening to it while it's snowing tomorrow. So I want to ask you guys, did you guys uh, try out the augmented reality app? I saw that. Wait, no, no, no I did not. You want to explain it, Laura? Yeah. So, I mean, so the last uh, season of Accused that we talked about was the one where we had, which again, I had that strange family connection to at the Fernald uh, nuke plant where Amber and Amanda and the other newsroom folks like recreated in like, I think Amber's front yard, like the vat that the guy would have fallen into and in the chemicals and like melted or whatever. It was definitely the and backyard. Yeah. You don't want yeah. people well, saying yeah. that. I think she said it was the front yard. Really? Okay. I think she yeah, did. I think it was. Stand corrected. So, again, I love that they, like we're going to like recreate this. So in this one, they have this like, you have to download the USA Today app apparently and you can experience according to the description an in-person account of the hotel room, view the crime scene, and learn what police did and didn't do to solve the case. So it's like got like these little like three D like models of that's like why the room and there. stuff. That's why she and Amanda went there. That's why we heard them in that room with lights going wah wah. That's why they were capturing video and stuff there was for that. Yeah, that's yeah. why. But also so, reconstructed from uh, evidence from the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. I might download that and check it out. But I thought, like, I love that they do this, like these recreations. It's uh, a little bit better to me than a root drive, uh, like the crab crib. It definitely gives you a, ch you know, a chance to uh, understand the scene and the case better if you are able to see a representation of what the room looks like and where the body was found and all this other stuff. One thing that I really like about this podcast, and this is something I said about a podcast a couple weeks ago, and I don't think necessarily listeners who don't write understand how hard this is. I really appreciated the scene setting of the Renaissance Hotel. And she describes how in the atrium people eat breakfast and how all the rooms, by the way, the fact that I'm able to describe this points to how good the writing is. And this is what I'm saying is the writing is really good. And this is how I know. The atrium of the hotel, you eat breakfast in the thing, and you're able to look up and see rooms that are like surrounding the hall, looking down into the atrium. And that this particular room, there's kind of a post in the way, which is why a casual viewer may not be able to look up and see. See, the Embassy Suites is really open. 
That atrium, whether it be for a swimming pool or an eating spot, is viewable as soon as you walk out just about any of the hotel doors. You step out of your room and into a hall that overlooks the atrium. That would mean that anyone gathered in the atrium, say Elaine and Joe having breakfast, could theoretically look up and see who was walking in the hallways. Toby, that's efficient and good writing in the scene setting of this that I am able to even remember the scene of the crime so well, right? Like, Amber is just a fucking good writer. We Do you agree with me? Oh, yeah. At least for me, everything was, like, very clear. You never get through something you're, like, can't quite, like, picture what happened or a little unclear of what, what went on or what the implications were. And it's concise, too. I mean, that's the other thing. It's that there's not a whole lot of, you know, there's not a whole lot of BS or fluff in it, you know? I mean, it's it's she's pretty, she stays on, on task and... You know, she's, there's plenty of personality and, and little asides and stuff, but there's not sort of random stuff that sometimes happens or stuff that feels like padding. So what's your problem with the expression looky-loos then, Toby? Amber owes me for having <laughs> me having to listen to her say that. I don't know what the <laughs> hell that, that is. Looky-loos? What the a hell? Looky-loo? Looky-loo? Is this it's like a rubbernecker? Yeah. <laughs> a looky-loo? Sounds like yeah. something like, are you going to give me cold pricklies or are you going to be a looky-loo? It sounds like a kindergarten thing. <laughs> Oh my God! You know what a rubbernecker is? I do know what a rubbernecker is. It's a looky loo. It's a rubbernecker. Well, what did you Same say? Thing. Rubbernecker. I actually didn't know what a looky loo was either, but I like the word. For our listeners who don't know what either a looky loo or a rubbernecker is, it's somebody who stands on the side and like is like turns nosy. their head to look back at the thing it's, they just it's, passed. It's, yeah. it's me. It's me. It's I a large breaker. It's a nosy it is... motherfucker who just can't help but look. <laughs> it's like when yeah, you have you're those, slowing traffic the down, traffic Lara. like slows and you're like, what the hell's going on? And then there's like an accident on the other side of the highway and everybody's just like slowing down to 20 to look at it and then they speed that's up again. That's that a rubbernecker. That is a rubbernecker. That's me. And then it's, if it's really me, you stop and try to take a picture or something. Yes. Oh, you're right. the worst. And then, yeah. I'm the worst. You're the worst. All right, well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Accused Season 4 from our friend and podcaster Amber Hunt and the Cincinnati Inquirer and USA Today? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out Accused Season 4? I think that they should. Um, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I love Amber's storytelling style. I love, by the way, the music. I, I know it sounds like a little thing, but no. I love the accused music totally so agree. much. They added a theremin to the, the theme song, by the way. It's not just piano anymore. It's piano and theremin. I wanted to mention that. I love the music. I love her storytelling style. Now, this case, I'm not totally sure how I feel about guilt or innocence at this point, but I also feel like I trust Amber. She's going to land the plane. Amber and Amanda took this case on, but also there was enough so far in this case where the process wasn't fair. It may not, again, like making a murderer and Stephen Avery, it may not necessarily mean that like this person isn't the responsible person, but it means that there are questions to be answered and things to be investigated. So, you know, I think you should just listen to this specifically so you can hear Amber say, is this person an asshole like 10 times? But joking aside, this is really well done. The storytelling is great. The writing is great. It's tight, keeps your interest. And, you know, I think there's a lot of good people involved. Also, the intern got a starring role, which I think is just fucking amazing. So I would say thumbs up. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for Accused Season 4. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big thumbs up. I mean, Amber's really good at this. She's pretty early in, uh, I mean, I don't know how long we've been we've been reviewing things before the first season of Accused came out, but it, my memory is that it's, it's pretty early on in our 
existence. So she's been doing it for a while. Like as we talked about, her writing's really good. Her investigating and repertorial stuff is great. They're easy to listen to. They're super interesting. So it's 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 what you're looking for in a true crime podcast. So I give it a strong thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm a thumbs up. Uh, Amber, you know, is a great news gatherer and puts together a really compelling story. My criticism of it was that I would have liked to have heard up front reasons why I might want to be rooting for uh, Edward Jones. And we don't really get that until the very end. Uh, How do you know? You haven't heard those episodes yet. Well, you told me all I did. I, I spoiled yeah. them for Kevin and Pratt. I was like, well, what, what about this? What about this? There's some really interesting stuff coming up. you got to wait till episode seven. I would have liked to have sort of been tipped off a little more so that I you know, wouldn't get uh, my head uh, dragged down by the weight of the evidence that they do have against him. In any event... You know, Amber is an A-list podcaster in the true crime genre, and so you can't go wrong with another season of Accused. Yeah, I agree. I'm a thumbs up for this podcast, too. And, you know, I said earlier that I would perhaps have altered the order of the episodes. I stand by that somewhat, except for the fact that, like, pretty soon all the episodes are going to be out, so it won't matter. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess it kind of doesn't. This is a really good podcast. Classic, strong journalism-based true crime podcast. Um, really interesting case, really compelling, I believe, wrongful conviction case. I believe that for a variety of reasons that are very classic reasons uh, that point to a very compelling case that somebody was wrongfully convicted here. And Amber does a really, really good job at pointing all of those things out without making a claim that she's going to solve the case, which, you know, that isn't something necessarily that a journalist should set out to do when they do a project like this. It's just really well done, beautifully written, uh, nicely produced. Yeah, I really have nothing bad to say about it. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, thumbs up for me for Accused Season 4. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? <laughs> We do have a cat of the week this week. And the reason that I picked this cat is when I looked at the pictures, all I could think of was the picture that Kevin used in one of our graphics last week of the woman across the street from the girl in the window. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Whatever that one was, all I could think of was the lady with the giant jug of wine. And I received a picture of a cat that looked very similar to that with its giant jug of wine. And it is from Adele Mitchell, a longtime listener, like an OG Crime Writers On listener. And the cat's name is Seal. Seal's going to be 17 years old soon and is quite the old man. Not sure how many weeks or months he has left, but he still knows what's important. Self-care. See attached photos of Seal with the giant jug of wine. He belongs to my daughter. We got him when he was only seven years old. She's 24 and living in Manhattan now, coming to visit on Friday. Oh, God, it's likely this would be the last time she'll see him again. And I would love to surprise her with a shout out from the Crime Writers On. So uh, thank you, Seal. But you know what? Seal um, is drinking red wine, and I think that could prolong his life because that's what I've heard. Red wine is good for the heart. So Seal, maybe you've got a few more years left. Laura Bricker, folks, of course, can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com if they want to send us their uh, cats named after 90s and early 2000s pop stars to be Cat of the Week. But if they want to tweet them to you, how can they do that? How can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and maybe, I don't know, meet up with you in foreign countries to buy you a drink. How can they find you on Twitter? 
I am at Toby Ball NH, and I will be in London on March 13th, going to a, a football game. And uh, afterwards, I uh, would love to meet up with people at a pub somewhere. So either hit me up on social media or you can send an email to Crime Writers on. Just put like London in the subject line. They'll forward it to me and uh, I will try and talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about around there, about a good place to meet, et cetera, et cetera. But it'd be fun to, to hook up with some people. Perhaps a listener will organize your meetup for you. We were lucky enough to have that. That would be ideal. Us. Kevin Flynn, uh, how can folks find you on the Twitters? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Maybe one of the folks there will uh, plan that meetup for Toby. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly intelligent and, yes, handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we decide who is and isn't an asshole. On behalf of all the crime Toby writers, is. thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I ordered some leggings with the my face on them to give to my friend for her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, see someone ordered one of those, yeah. Partners in Crime Media. Media.